Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. I want to encourage you, please, to join me in turning in your Bibles or on your devices to Leviticus chapter 3. And as you find your way to Leviticus chapter 3, I want to welcome the rest of our church family worshiping in the Family Life Center or away from this campus to turn with us as well as we continue our study in Leviticus 3. And as we're finding our way there to the third chapter of Leviticus, let me also give you a bit of a spoiler alert, a bit of an invitation. If you are at home or away on vacation, and you're able to do this, here's what I want to encourage you to do. In just a little while, uh, your church family will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. So between now and then, maybe during a prayer, when I'm not looking, get some bread, get some juice. We'd love for you to join with us from afar as you worship wherever it is that you are. Uh, Now we turn in Luke, or not Luke, it'll be a while before we get to Luke. I'll be talking retirement. (laughs) Some of y'all won't be here, you know. Leviticus chapter 3. And we begin in chapter 3 with these words of life and hope and grace and beauty. If your offering is a fellowship offering, And you offer an animal from the herd, whether male or female, you are to present before the Lord an animal without defect. You are to lay your hand on the head of of your offering and slaughter it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash the blood against the sides of the altar. From the fellowship offering, you, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord, the in internal organs and all the fat that is connected to them, both the kidneys with the fat with them around the rear of the loins or near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons are to burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering that is lying on the burning wood. It is a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If you, are, if you offer an animal from the flock as a fellowship offering to the Lord, you are to offer a male or female without defect. If you offer a lamb, you, you are to present it before the Lord. Lay your hand on its head, slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting, Aaron's sons, a splash of blood against the sides of the altar. From the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord. It's the fat, the entire fat tail cut off close to the backbone, the internal organs and all the fat that is connected with them, both the kidneys and, along with the fat on them near the, the loins and, and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. If your offering is a goat, 
You are to present it before the Lord. Lay your hand on its head. Slaughter it from in front of the tent of meeting. Aaron's son shall splash the blood against the sides of the altar. From what you offer, you're to present a food offering to the Lord. The internal organs and all the fat that's connected to them, both the kidneys and the fat near the loins, the long lobe of the liver, remove the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering, a pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This is the lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live you must not eat any fat or any blood so much for hamburgers at lunch <laughs> the reading of the sacred word it is reliable and it can be trusted in just a moment you and i are going to take part in one of the highest and holiest practices in our faith, we are about to share the Lord's Supper. We are about to enter into holy communion with one another. This ritual that offers the possibility of stability of mind, this one here. Steadiness of heart, this ritual that offers the capacity for the soul to be quickened, awakened to life and faith and hope, this ritual here. So what, in the name of all that is holy, does this have to do with an ancient, primitive, arcane, antiquated practice that seems so distant to anything that matters or is relevant to you and me, the slaughter of animals and the splashing of blood and guts. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. But I do so want to talk about this, but there is one thing that we have to keep in mind on our way there. This is a perfect chapter to demonstrate what I've been saying about Leviticus. Because in all of the Bible, many places, many places in the Bible, especially Leviticus, it's not just what the Bible says. It's what the Bible does. This text, like so many we've already read in the first three chapters, and like so many more that we'll read in the rest of this Study This text will present words that on the surface you and I will read them and we'll assume that that's all that they mean. But this text, like others, is never just about what the text says. It's about what it does in the lives of those who hear what it says. Both for the original audience and us. So if you and I can do some excavation work today and drill down past the surface level meaning of what we think that we're reading, we might discover something that actually has the capacity to do something in us that it actually did in them when they first heard it. So today I want to talk about a couple of things. You know what we're going to need to talk about today? Today we're going to need to talk about swirling dervishes. The power of ritual. And the last one, Zeba Shalamim. Swirling dervishes, the power of ritual, and Zeba Shalamim. Let's pray together. 
And now, God, as we open up your word, we pray that your spirit would open up our hearts. We recognize that it is only through your presence among us that we're able to hear something in these ancient words that make ancient words our future words. So come, Holy Spirit. Our hearts inspire. Fill us with your holy fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Amen. Swirling dervishes. Do you know what a swirling dervish is? Around the 14th century, there was a movement in Islam, a movement known as Sufism that emerged. It was a contemplative movement of prayer and meditation, a life committed to nonviolence. And one of the expressions of their worship was a dance. The swirling dervishes would dance this beautiful dance in the round, a circle in which they would spin. And every motion of their hand, the tilt of their head, one hand up, appealing to God, one hand down, advocating blessing for humankind, was to demonstrate in this dance a kind of worshipful expression. It's, it's the swirling dervish. It reminds me a little bit in our own faith, our own religion, in terms of the Eastern Orthodox sisters and brothers in the faith, of how they talk about the Trinity. You know, they, in, in, in our theology, our sisters and brothers in the Eastern Church, they talk about the Trinity this way. Uh, they, they say that the, the word is perichoresis. Uh, perichoresis, peri meaning around, and choresis from choreography. They said the best way to understand the nature of the Trinity is to understand that God is in a kind of circle, round dance with God. That the Father is dancing with the Son, and the Son is in dance with the Spirit, and the Spirit in dance with the Father. And in this circle dance of divine love and grace and beauty and creation and mutual submission, there is always a hand in that perichoresis that's reaching out toward humankind, inviting humankind to join God in the dance of divine love. Isn't that beautiful? But lately, the, the swirling dervish in recent years has come to mean something different. The phrase begins to mean something different. It, it, it's typically used now in a, in a way to describe what it feels like when your head is spinning out of control. When you're going through a stress, a crisis, and, and it collapses in on you, and, 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 and there's something wrong with the kids, and the thing happened at school, and then the, the marriage is kind of going through a season, and, and then there was this bill that we didn't expect, and there's this kind of swirling dervish of anxiety and stress going on, and you may hear somebody say that. I feel like this swirling dervish in my head will not stop spinning. As a pastor in the year 2019, I, it occurs to me that we are living in an era, an era 
that can be described as one great cosmic swirling dervish. Every morning when I wake up, my phone gives me notifications of everything that happened while I was sleeping. And there's a brand new disappointment, another division, one more crisis, one more thing that everybody's going to be talking about. And it feels as if life is just this non-stop, never-ending, swirling dervish. There's conversation about border security. And then there's conversation about what do we do about immigrants. And then you turn on the news and there's this Catholic kid in a standoff with a Native American. And then, oh, wait a minute, that's not the whole video. There's more to see. Oh, that changes the story. And you keep spinning and spinning. Then there's this new law in New York that expands the freedom to abort a baby up until full term. Not only when a woman's life is in danger, but now when up until full term we determine that the child is not viable. When I hear that we are talking about how to define human life as viable or not viable, it convinces me that we are living in this swirling dervish and our head is spinning out of control. This is Leviticus. They have recently been freed from Egypt. They haven't been out of Egypt for 12 months. Twelve months ago, they were slaves in Egypt, and now they've been set free. But big deal. Because for 400 years, even though they were enslaved, at least they knew when it was time to go to bed and where they were going to get their food. And, and they knew how the sun rose and set and what they were expected to do during those two framing events of the day. But now they're free, and that's great news. We don't have the thumb of an oppressive emperor upon us. Pharaoh is no more yet. Who cares if now in our newfound freedom we don't know how to put one foot in front of the next? It's like a swirling dervish in which they don't know how to live free. It's one thing to be set free, but another to live free. And you know what they're going to need? They're going to need explicit instructions on how to put one foot in front of the next 400 years they've learned the bad habit of simply existing and now in their freedom they have to learn a new habit of putting one foot in front of the next in full freedom and you know what else in the midst of swirling dervishes that keep our heads spinning you and I will need some help too you and I will need help instruction and that's where Leviticus comes in that leads us to the power of ritual now a few weeks ago I told you that this whole book starts with this one word the whole book of instruction about rituals and procedures and detailed instruction it all begins with a great word do you remember what the word is on the count of three if you know it say it with me one two three Vayikra, you're doing so well. Vayikra, which is this kind of cosmic cry like God into all the universe blares a trumpet. Vayikra, which means come. You who have been 
scattered you who have been in chaos even in the aftermath of Egypt. You come, Vaikra, draw near to me. But then he does the strangest thing. Of all the things that God could do in gathering those who have just come in from the swirling dervish of Egypt, God says, now I've got some instructions for you about how to do offerings. And I can hear the Egyptians now, this is why I don't go to church. And he says, not that kind of offering. Explicit details about five offerings in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. Burnt offering, grain offering, fellowship offering, sin offering, guilt offering. Each with their own purposes, the first three voluntary, not even required by God. But with explicit instructions, stand here. Place your hand there. Say those words and not these words. Organize the internal organs of the animal in this way on the fire and not that way. Specific, detailed, monotonous, wrote almost in some places a verbatim, repetitious retelling of the same instructions again and again. Stand here, do this, place your hand, and why? To stop the spinning. Sometimes when you come out of the thing that happened, sometimes when you come out of the swirling dervish long enough to to catch your breath, You need specific ordered instructions to get you from one place to the next. Just ask anyone you know who has gone through addiction recovery. The day that they declare my name is and I am addicted to, that is the day their freedom begins, but it doesn't end that day. They will need explicit directions about here's how my morning is going to look and this is what lunchtime looks like. And in the evenings, these are the things I'm going to do to arrange my life in a specific way. And on the weekends and when I'm alone and when I'm really vulnerable, these are the things I must do. And you're going to call me when I become weak and vulnerable and need you. Yes, right? You're going to call me. There is a rhythm to make, a routine, a ritual to not become free but to stay free. This is the power of ritual. Sometimes you need something to hold you together when the swirling dervish of your life threatens to pull you apart. Leon Wieseltier once told about the loss of his father. He's a Jewish man and his father died and because he was a Jew who, who practiced his faith, the first year of his grief was punctuated with rhythms and rituals that are meant to help in the grief. Every day there would be prayers for the first full year, prayers, rituals to help him in his grief put one foot in front of the next. And he reflected on the reality that on most of the days in the very beginning, they meant nothing to him. I mean, it's just rigidity, it's just rote, it's just routine, it's just repetitious, it's just mundane, it's these, these, these habits that I'm told that I must do. But this is what he said eventually. Listen to his words. He says, when I lead the prayers, I can't control my mind. You know, it, 
It roams. Does your mind ever roam when you pray, when you read? When you... It roams. I mean, small things, small things. My thoughts and my words have nothing to do with each other. See how disconnected that can feel? But the words keep coming, unimpeded by my abandonment of them. The triumph of rote. Will you let that phrase just kind of settle with you for a moment? The triumph of rote. Of saying yes to a rhythm that at the, at the surface level doesn't mean much to me. doesn't have much applicability to me. It doesn't seem to feel like it's making any difference. But I'm going to put one foot in front of the next. And I'm going to practice this ritual because in the rote, rhythmic, routine, repetition of it, something is holding me when I have no energy to hold a thing. Sometimes we read the rituals and other times the rituals, see, they read us. This is why I say to you, my beloved sisters and brothers, this is why you got to come to church. Not because it's your duty and not because you feel like it. Because sometimes, can I let you know in a little secret here, I, sometimes I don't feel like it. Come on. There's some days I just, but you, you don't come to church because you feel like it. You, well, I want, I want to be able to feel like I'm enthused about going to church. I need to go to a church where I'm happy, where I, where I, I sense like there's a, like a reward of going. I, I want it to be worth it for me to get all the kids ready. They've got to get them dressed up, got to brush their teeth. They never brush their teeth. We've got to get there on time, and it's very early in the morning. We've got to get... But you don't come to church because you want to. You come to church, beloved, because there, I promise you, are seasons in which nothing seems to matter anymore. And you can't feel it anymore. You feel disconnected. Nothing seems to arouse the mind or the heart or stimulate the spirit anymore. But you come because in the routine, in the rote, rhythmic, ritual, repetition of it all, we say things here and we sing things here and we sit in silence and we make music. And even if those things don't do it for us, if those things don't help us to put one foot in front of the next, even walking down the same hallway week after week, the, the hallway that smells the same, the hallway filled with the people who have the same faces you've seen for years, there's a certain ritual of healing because as you make your way as a ritual, one foot in front of the next here, week after week, you are reminded even in your unfeeling seasons, this is a place where I heal. This is a place where I am safe to not feel a thing. It's a place where in the rhythm of going through the motions, something is holding me together when it feels like, like I'm falling apart. Can somebody say amen? This is why we, ritual has a power in our lives. Can I say a little bit more about the power of ritual? Here, here's the power. When we do a ritual, no matter what it is, it's not that we do the ritual simply because the ritual has like symbolic meaning. And it does. I mean, the rituals we do have symbol, symbolism and power. They remind us of important things. But that's not why we practice ritual. We practice the ritual of doing church and, and participating in our faith because when we do, it not only symbolizes a memory of all that has brought us to this point, it enables us to enact. Enact 
the hope of the world. We participate in the ritual of our faith because it helps us do something that acts out the hope that this is not the way things will always be. Can I give you an example? In a little while, we're about to have bread and cup. And this, this is definitely a memory meal. It, we, we remember Christ. And in this meal, we, we say, do this in remembrance of me. And we remember. But this, beloved, is not simply a memorial meal where we just remember something that happened. This is an anticipatory meal in which you and I, by faith and with hope, through worshipful imagination, take the bread and drink the cup, and we anticipate that day when we are all gathered around a great messianic banqueting table and all the nations of the world have gathered and we are eating and drinking and being filled with joy because the presence of the Lord is among us. When you eat this bread and drink this cup, it's not to simply remember something, but when you go through the motions of Holy Communion, you are participating in an anticipatory, defiant act of hope that the way things are in the world is not the way things will be forever. So ritual enables us to act out a hope until that hope becomes real. Because there is a difference between what is real and what is really real. And when we gather here for worship, beloved, in worship, we don't leave what is real. We enter what is really real. Now, the real world is the swirling dervish I'm talking about, filled with all those moments that make us go crazy. And I'm not saying we should ever leave the real world, but when we come to worship, we're not leaving the real world. No. We are entering into a world of the really real. Because then in everything that we do, in sight and sound and music and message, everything that we do in this place, we are envisioning, we are, we are envisioning the world not as it is, but as it could be. And as it was meant to be. And every time we take part in the ritual, we are enacting it until the world is transformed into the kingdom of our God. Yeah. Which leads us to the last movement before this table is open. Zeba Shalemim. Zeba Shalemim is simply the name of this third offering. Zeba Shalemim means the fellowship offering. It's the third one mentioned in Leviticus. But there's something curious about Zeba Shalemim. The word shalemim is interesting because the root of shalemim, you can even hear it. Listen, listen to, it's three letters in Hebrew, shalem, shalem, shalem. Does that start to sound like a Hebrew word that you know? Shalom, shalom, shalom. The heart of the fellowship offering is an appeal for shalom. And shalom is a word that means peace, but it doesn't just mean peace it's translated in a variety of ways in the Hebrew Bible, and here are just a few. Shalom means peace, it means sharing, it means communion, alliance, friendship, well-being, wholeness, completeness, harmony. And as this book opens with that fantastic word, Vayikra, God is calling them to something. But what is God calling them to? God is saying, Vayikra, come near. Our, 
Are you void of peace? Is your life a life of chaos? Are you vacant of wholeness and harmony and friendship and connection and community? I am going to show you a specific way to put one foot in front of the next and through this ritual, you can enact peace until the world knows it by name. Something interesting about this passage, you you learn more about Scripture by paying attention to what Scripture says about Scripture, what it says about itself. So later in Leviticus, Leviticus says some things about Leviticus. Chapter 7, it goes into a little bit deeper detail about this offering, the fellowship peace offering, right? And there we learn there's something unique that sets this offering apart from every other offering. This is almost like a complete retelling of that first offering, the burnt offering. Did it sound familiar from a couple of weeks ago? Bring the animal here, put your hands on it there, slaughter him, put some blood here, arrange it in this particular order. But there's one difference. (laughs) In this offering... The part of the animal that's put on the altar is consumed by God. But the rest of the animal is to be consumed by people. The priests and the donor of that animal put part of the animal on the altar and the flames allow it to be consumed by God while they then prepare a barbecue for themselves. And they eat And they share, oh, a meal with God and with each other that has as its purpose the establishment of peace in the universe. How amazing would it be if we had a meal like that? That every time we had a part of it, we are reminded that we are who he said would be the peacemakers in this world. There's something else interesting about this. And God takes part and and the humans take part. But later in Leviticus we read that bread is involved in the fellowship offering. You know what's interesting about bread? There are prayers in the Hebrew Bible that give thanks to God because God is the maker of, let's say, the fruit of the trees, which is apples. There are prayers that give thanks to God because God is the maker of the fruit of the ground, which is potatoes. There is... There are prayers in the Hebrew Bible giving thanks to God because God is the maker of the fruit of the vine, which no Baptists know anything about, I know. But that's wine. (laughs) Come on. Do you know there's not a prayer like that in the Hebrew Bible for bread? Do you know why? (laughs) Because bread doesn't come from the ground. Wheat does. God will grow wheat from the ground so that in partnership with humankind, the human can turn that wheat into bread. It takes an act of co-laboring with God to create bread. It takes an act of co-laboring with God to create peace. For those of us waiting for God to somehow show up and bring peace to the world, the Holy Scriptures tell us it's in us in partnership with him, that the kingdom of peace will reign. And beloved, I just want to invite you, when you take this bread today and you drink this cup, this is exactly what we are up to. We are recognizing 
with one another and before God, that we are here so that God may consume on the altar of our hearts our lives. But as we eat this bread, we are called to remember we consume the broken body and the poured out life and blood of Christ so that in this world, while our days remain, we are the peacemakers. Let's take a moment and bow in prayer as we prepare to take the table. Good and loving God, in this moment we do yield our hearts and minds before you. We are amazed that you would endeavor to be in partnership with any of us about anything and yet your holy scriptures remind us that you're constantly calling us to join you in what you are up to in this world even as we give you thanks for this table we we thank you for the bread and we thank you for the cup and we recognize that it came at great cost and deliberate expense on your behalf, that your body was broken, that our brokenness could be made whole, that your blood was shed so that in the emptying out of you, we may be filled like we've never imagined. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, remind us of what is at stake. We pray these things in your glorious and holy name. Amen.